Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the one, the only, the chief prospecting officer of Blissful Prospecting, Jason Bay. Nick, why should people listen? Armand, we don't normally get into the fluffy, soft stuff on here, but Jason actually talks about how you can put empathy to use on cold calls, cold emails, and in your sales process. And he doesn't give us saying, I hope you and your family are safe, healthy, and well in these challenging times. Three, two, one, let's hit it. Stay safe. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Jason, welcome to the show. We start every single one with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. So my first one is teach, don't take. So a lot of times when we prospect, we ask questions like, can I get 15 minutes of your time? Can I get 30 minutes? So instead of asking and taking from them, 
teach them something. And a really easy way to do that is get your customers or clients on a Zoom call together, let them brainstorm ideas, facilitate the conversation, turn that into an insight that you can then lead with prospecting conversations. What's tip number two? Tip number two involves objections. So it's understand, validate, offer. A lot of times when we get an objection, our first instinct is to like rebuttal, right? To have like some sort of clever response. And what you really need to do is understand where the prospect is coming from first, validate that, and then make an offer for next steps. Round us out. What's the last one? Last one's question stacking. So one of the things, especially at a cold call, that's really tough to do is to add context into why you're asking the question. So the person's not like, oh my God, like who is this person I don't know, like interrogating me. And a way that you can do that is by stacking context into your questions. So stacking a problem into that first sentence of the question, for example, and then asking the question, stacking something educational into the first part of that question, and then asking it. And it works a way better for questions, especially in a cold call. So what does that actually sound like? Can you give me an example? Yeah. So the psychology here and what you're thinking is, this is a form of a pattern interrupt, right? Because the the problem that we have when we're cold calling someone or prospecting just in general is getting the prospect to freaking pay attention during the call and not to tune you out the entire time. And with pattern interrupts, I think that people actually approach these backwards. They think of how can I interrupt the prospect's pattern? And you actually have to start first with interrupting your own pattern. That's where pattern interrupts came from, is helping people break bad habits, addictions, that sort of stuff, right? So you need to identify that at the very beginning of the call, typically, what happens is our gut instinct is to talk a lot, and we can need to flip that around and ask a question. So I might say something like this, hey, Nick, you know, I do my intro, and you're like, okay, what's up, right? And then I get into the reason for my call, and then right when I do that, the very first thing I'm going to do is ask a question. So I mean, he's like, hey, Nick, typically we find that 40% of a bank's customers are taking international payments. And oftentimes they just end up going to competing banks to get those done. How are you guys tracking your international payments right now? And what you want the prospect to do is to be like, wait, 40% international payments. Well, we're not tracking that at all. What do you mean 40%? Right? You want to put them not necessarily on the spot, but you want to hit them with a piece of education that they might not be aware of. And you want to build that into the question. Let's talk about what happens after that. And so you mentioned that when you get an objection, you're not immediately going to swat it back at the prospect and say, we do this better than this company, right? And so could you talk us through and voice over, what does it sound like? Armand, so if you're like, hey, not interested, Jason, and this happens at the very top of the call, the part that I'm going to do to understand is I don't really need to dig into it a ton. I'm just going to say, hey, Armand, I totally hear you. I know I'm calling you out of the blue or I'm cold calling you out of the blue or hey, you weren't expecting my call. Some sort of statement like that. The validate is I could totally understand you might want to get me off the phone or I could totally understand where you're coming from. I'd probably want to do the same thing or I'd probably say the same thing. Any variation, of it, there's no magic words here. So understand, validate, and then I can make an offer. The offer you can do in a bunch of different ways, but I really like the, hey, you know, would it be a bad idea if I spent just a few seconds here to tell you why I'm calling and then you could tell me if it's worth chatting or not? So that upfront contract Sandler style or I call permission-based opener, you're kind of doing that again and then asking them for permission to share the reason for your call. So that works really, really well with those shallow objections, those not interested, not enough time. And what you've really got to do 
internally, and I know I'm kind of going on a monologue here, <laughs> but what you got to do internally, I was on a coaching call with one of our clients and I was just throwing these shallow objections at him just to see how he would respond. And when I was like, not interested, he got like defensive right away. And he said that his chest tightened up when I asked him. It was like anger almost, right? And he kind of went into, well, you know, you didn't even give me a chance to tell you why I called. And if, you know, I just need some time. It's like, he only thought about what he was feeling instead of like, let me just put myself in the prospect shoe real quick. And like, let me lean in and think about like, why would Nick say something like that? Well, Nick would say not interested because he's maybe been on the receiving end of a bunch of cold calls. He's had a bunch of people just drone on and on and on about like what they're selling. And it just hasn't been a good experience for him. So just taking just a tiny bit of empathy to talk to that real quick makes a huge difference. So I got a question. I always imagine like there's this hourglass where eventually you got sand coming out of it and you got to cut it off before you run out of sand, right? And so like, how do you know when to go in for an ask versus when to do some live discovery on a cold call? I like going into some light discovery in a cold call because I find that if there's not a really compelling reason to hop on a sales call, people just don't show up. So if you haven't found some sort of like thing that you can share with them, an insight that gets them really excited, or you haven't really dug into that pain, they just don't show up to the call in my experience. So I do want to do some light discovery. I'm going to try to do that every single time no matter how interested the person is or how not interested. And I'd rather get to the point where I'm asking questions and they're just not having it and don't really feel it's relevant to them. I'd rather not do a call with that person. So if you're giving me a bunch of shallow objections, I want to pattern interrupt on that. Hey, Armand, hey, it's totally cool, by the way, if you're feeling this, but I'm sort of getting the sense that what I'm talking about is just like not relevant for you at all. And it's not going to hurt my feelings if that's the is that, is that the case. Is that the case? Well, so the the buzzword right now is you got to have empathy in sales. And to me, what you're doing is actual empathy, not signing off every email. email. I hope you and your family are safe, healthy, and well. You are actually saying, hey, the fact that you feel like this might not be a good fit is completely fine and you're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm really curious about this like labeling and acceptance and then moving on with your ask thing when you apply it to different parts of the sales process. So when you get to a demo or like a more in-depth meeting and there's multiple stakeholders there, you know, you get the skeptic or the person who who doesn't really get it. How do you do that in a in a demo meeting, for example? Understand, validate, offer. Hey, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be totally off base here, but kind of seems like you're not really feeling or vibing with what I'm showing. And it's probably for good reason. I may not be hitting on some of the points that are important to you. Uh, if it's cool with you, like, can I just ask you a couple questions if you're like comfortable being honest with me just about what I could focus on right now that you would really care about? You're giving them an opportunity to have an out in a comfortable way, because here's what happens. They've got some objection in the back of their mind and whether or not you address it and know about it, it still exists and it will still kill your deal if it's not addressed in some way. And so by you asking it and, and allowing them to tell you why they don't think this is a fit, one of two things is going to happen. The first is that they they correct you and they say, no, actually, sorry, I, I just need to have some coffee. I'm actually really liking this. Can you now show me the 
the reporting functionality we talked about on the first call. Well, great. Now you've validated that actually it's okay. This person was just in a bad mood in the part. Now you can show what they want. The other end of the spectrum is they give you a legitimate objection that now you can handle. But until you give them the opportunity to put it out there, you can't handle it at all. I find that if you just have a tiny bit of rapport, it could even be because I live in Austin and that person commented on barbecue or something. That leaves a really natural segue at the beginning of the demo. Like the way that I always start out is, hey, I'm going to show you a bunch of stuff today. Are you comfortable telling me if something you're just not feeling something that I show you or if I like we talk about price and it's just completely out of the ballpark? Are, are you comfortable with telling me that? And we kind of joke about it. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you're not going to hurt my feelings, nothing like that. And you want to get that out of the way at the very beginning. And so what I want to go back to is you also have some really interesting stuff about the way you structure your emails and email objections and cadences. And so part of what you're doing is you're doing a really good job of opening up the door for no, asking good questions when you're on a phone or when you're on a discovery call. How do you do that? If somebody slams you with not interested over email How do you handle that when you don't have the benefit of tone? You don't have the benefit of being able to ask somebody two or three questions. You did in the same exact way almost. So understand, validate, offer. Hey, Nick, I know I sent you a cold email. You definitely weren't expecting this email. And I may have been off base with the things that I talked about in here. So I totally get why you would respond that way. But if it's cool with you, I had an idea because I saw that So this could be, I I had an idea because I saw one of your competitors was doing this. Armand, I know you like that line. uh, We're in this portfolio companies like kind of thing, right? I I had this idea because we work with a lot of the same companies in in the same portfolio as you. And I wanted to share this one strategy that's working really well for them to accomplish this. Is it cool if I send that over to you? And then if it makes sense, we can hop on a call. Like you're you're just going to do the same exact language. And that it's not, you're not going to hit out of the park every time you do that. But every now and then, I would say maybe 10, 20% of the time, people will be like, yeah, send over the idea. Are you using like text type language? Like, does it feel like a text message or conversational when you're sending it off in the email? Like, how are you conveying your tone inside of your written messages? For some reason, people have this email voice that they go into. And I always, you have to read out loud what you're going to send. If you read it out loud and you're like, this doesn't sound like me, or you take multiple breaths within a sentence, you got to chop it, dude. You got to get it conversational. And I absolutely want it to look, have the look and feel of a text. I don't want it to feel templated or sequenced or anything. And another little hack that I have is because a lot of people, what's clutch is if you have a sequence to respond to not interested, right? Where you just pop it in real quick. Well, don't create a sequence. Do the responses manually first and then you figure out what works, and then you turn those responses into a sequence. How do you build sequences so that they don't sound like the same garbage that every single one of your buyers is getting in their inbox? I don't create a whole sequence in advance. I'm just going to write the first two emails. That's all I need to do this week. Let me just write the first two emails. That's the main sequence. The longer email is the first one typically. The second one's just going to be any thoughts, question mark, Jason. I didn't come up with that. I don't know who came up with that, but it like, works really well. You know, it's just a short follow-up. So email one is a longer email with your personalization, uh, relevance, right? Your empathy, the challenge that they're going through, the relevant result, the call to action. Second email, short call to action. Third email is another longer email that's focused on a different problem that the person's having. Fourth email, shorter. I'm only going to write those first two. Then next week, I can write the next two. I'm going to manually send these when I build them for the first time. 
So I want to go back to the piece about writing emails because you have some really specific things you do in the the format and content of your email. I think you call it the reply method. Can you talk me through what that looks like in an email? So the reply method is essentially an acronym. So the R in reply stands for relevant results. And typically when someone gets an email, what they're thinking is, you know, what's in it for me? Like what's in it for me? What, what am I going to get from this? And the problem with that is that Salespeople automatically assume that since people have short attention spans, well, I need to introduce myself and my company. I need to get that out right away in the email. Otherwise, they aren't going to look at it when that's actually the very opposite of what you want to do. So you want to actually have relevant things that they would care about, results that they would care about, social proof that they would care about so you can catch their attention. That's all you're trying to do with this step. We'll talk about the structure here in a second. This is more like a checklist of things that you need. So the E is for empathy. Empathy really uh, comes with what is going on in this prospect's world. And there's different levels of problems that you can talk about. What I really like is these situational problems, especially if you're selling a product that fixes a particular problem, like a very big problem. And what you want to go for there is what happens in a specific moment in time where this person experiences this problem. So I'll give you an example. So we're working with a company that has a product that automates QuickBooks for small business owners. So what that might sound like, hey, not sure if you're dealing with this or not, but what I hear from a lot of small business owners is that when they go to do their books, the dollar amount in QuickBooks doesn't actually match what's in their bank account. So what happens is they can't cut payroll because they don't really actually know what's available, what isn't available, and they can't allocate cash flow properly. There was just a weird moment where Nick and I were doing our podcast expenses and we also invest in some real estate and we have these spreadsheet P&Ls and we have an amount of money that we think that we have in the bank and then we go check the bank account and it's wrong. And you just said that and I was like, well, that's a problem that we had. I wasn't even like trying to be a customer at the time, but that was 10 times better than hitting me with your value prop. I literally wrote on my piece of paper was like, need to ask Jason about this company. All right, so we've got the R, relevant results. We got the E for empathy. Let's crank out P, L, and Y. Yeah, so P is for personalization. You want to show the prospect that your outreach was intentional. So make it very obvious that it wasn't a template, but also show that it was intentional, like I'm thinking of you. That's the thing that they should feel. And this is what's going to kind of connect everything together. So the L is for laser focus. I would say probably 95% of the cold emails I look at or 95% of the pitches that I hear on a cold call are just way too long, way too long. So laser focus is really just about getting to the point. Emails, three to five sentences, voicemails, under 30 seconds, videos, under 60 seconds, your intro to a cold call, 10 or 15 seconds, you know, very short, sweet, punchy, to the point. Don't do anything that's over three to five sentences. And then the why is for you oriented. So you guys have had a bunch of folks on the podcast talk about essentially hero's journey. And if you're making it all about you, you're not making them the hero. And the abbreviated version of the hero's journey starts with the character and then the problem and then the guide. So they are the character of the story. They're Batman, right? The problem with Batman is he wanted to fight crime and he thought the best way to do it was by going to jail, <laughs> right? And then Liam Neeson from the League of Shadows comes along is like, hey, dude, like you don't have to do it this way. You could become a ninja. It's always starts with the character and their problem. That's how every great story starts. 
And that's what you need to do in your emails and your cold calls. You really need to start with that person and their problem and talk about what life could be like if they got a little bit of help with that problem. So we're speaking the same language here. So just to recap, reply, relevant result, empathy, personalization. Next one, my personal favorite, laser focus. Don't write these long emails. You guys are going to kill me. And then you oriented. Okay. And so can we talk about the last one, which is really the you oriented? And so one of the things that's challenging is if you've got a 10 step drip, I see people who hit the prospect over the head with the same value prop 10 times because they run out of things to say. And so topic to topic, step to step, how are you varying your message as you go throughout a drip? So, I mean, usually your product or service will solve three or more really big problems. So that first email is only going to focus on one problem. I'm not going to bullet point out like everything that I can do and everything I'm focused on. So I'm not going to focus on all those problems in the first email, just one problem and what a result could look like. And then I'm going to do a short follow-up in email number two, email number three, second problem, short follow-up email number four, and so on. So that's six emails right there to cover three problems. And then I'm going to sprinkle in three to five calls, depending on what your cadence looks like and how high of a priority this person is. Your calls are going to follow the same format. If I sent email number one, it's about that problem. And then LinkedIn's kind of a different element altogether. But one touch, LinkedIn connection request, that's one touch. Hey, you connect. Hey, a lot of people tell us they have these problems. We created this piece of content. You check it out. You know what I mean? It's, it's like you can get 12 to 15 touches pretty easily with just three problems. Are you threading those together at all? So I sell an ERP system. There's probably 800 problems that I could address. And one of the areas I'm always concerned about is if I talk about pain in email number one, and then email number three, I talk about a completely different type of pain. They're going to be like, what the heck? This guy's just shotgunning. So are you threading it together or have you found that it's not really a factor? So I might thread multiple email chains. The thing I don't want to do is send a short follow-up email referencing something that was in another email or say any thoughts, and it's like not easy to see what was going on. So there's a couple ways around that. Like Jeremy Levier from Lead IQ does this, and I think it's a cool strategy. You can keep it all in the same thread, but change the subject line. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. I've tested that. That's worked really, really well for these like longer sequenced emails. And then the other thing that I would do is sometimes we do this where we might have like three different sequences that we send where each sequence focuses on a, on a big problem because they're so different. So it might be like first email problem, second email, any thoughts, third email might be like a piece of content related to that or a case study. And then fourth email might be something else that's like more content related. And then I send each of those three sequences separately with different subject lines, different email chains, et cetera. Well, you've given me a paradigm shift where before I was the John Barrows camp where I replied to every single email I'd sent before because I wanted them to appreciate how persistent I was. But I'm also seeing that can also be like, dude, like once they've seen subject line just called and I said one pain and that wasn't relevant to them, now they've tuned me out in perpetuity. And now if I start a different thread, a different chain with a different subject line, it's like a fresh at bat instead of replying to the same thread with a different pain. So I'm actually thinking I'm going to have to change it up now. You've got to be able to bubble up the original thread once or twice, but a lot of times those ones are getting deleted and then you're just replying to these deleted threads and you're just a nuisance. My favorite place to use is, is on the breakup email. I do like a recap of the three or four problems that I've told you 
up until this point so that they have something that they can hold on to. And it's a completely new thread. So I do have to ask you the final question. There are a lot of good habits. We talked about the reply method. I love your use of pulse checks. We talked about your ability to actually seek out some no's and get customers to talk to you openly. What's one bad habit that every sales rep needs to break to be more successful today? Move from what do I want to how can I help? So stop thinking when you're writing an email, what do I want their time, a meeting, for them to open the email, whatever, and think of just like, how, how can I help? All righty, Jason, this has been a blast. Any last things you want to leave with the audience before we sign off? Definitely. We have a, a virtual tour going on right now. And if you've ever experienced webinar fatigue and you're like, hey, I don't want to go to another virtual summit with like 15 pre-recorded webinars where I got to show up and I don't even get to participate because it's pre-recorded. If you've ever felt that before, you'll really dig the virtual tour. It's called Think Outside the Script. We have 42 people on there. A lot of people that have been on this podcast, actually. We do them live. We take questions. We do Q&A. And it's 100% focused on prospecting and outbound, how to send better cold emails, make better cold calls, and ultimately how to land more meetings with your ideal clients. And that's at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. It's, it's free. So check it out. All right, everybody. Stay on for a 60-second recap email coming up soon. Cheers. Your Zoom Info Actionable Insight Tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways with the episode with Jason Bay include number one, find a very, very, very granular problem from a call recording. Put that at the top of your sequence. Time and money, saving time and money, generating more leads are not specific. Number two, pulse check with your prospect when things aren't going well. Ask them, hey, this doesn't seem like everything's going right, or is, is this not exactly what you wanted to hear, or is, is this even worth continuing? Number three, not interested. Say, I get it. I was the one who cold called. Validate it, acknowledge it, then ask for permission to tell them why you cold called in the first place. And then number four, the reply method. Relevant results, empathy, personalization, laser focus, and you. Stop writing long emails about yourself. Nick, how can people help us? So normally I say that I don't care about anything but subscriptions, but this week I'm kind of into the vanity metrics. So this week, please go give us a five-star rating and a review because if you've listened to this deep, I think you might like what you're hearing. Anyways, we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes of Presidents Club. Thanks.
today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.